Welcome to this podcast from Wilkesboro Baptist Church, where we are on a mission to lead our neighbors and the nations to follow Jesus. Beautiful song, beautiful songs leading us in worship this day, this uh, Wednesday as we worship together in person, and this Sunday as you're worshiping with us through your different platforms at home. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for being present and worshiping Jesus with us together. Um, As I mentioned next week, we're going to begin a new series, Commissioned, and we're going to start with the subject of worship. So we'll talk about that next week from the book of Exodus. Today, we're going to finish up our series in the book of Proverbs. Many of you have talked to me about how encouraging this series has been, how practical it is. The book of Proverbs is incredibly practical. We're going to close our study this week by looking at one of the more famous passages in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 31, 10 through 31, uh, that hymn to that beautiful lady, that godly lady. We're going to call her Lady Wisdom. That'll make a little more sense in a moment. Uh, that, that Proverbs 31 woman that so many of the ladies in our community and our church aspire to be. In fact, I was talking with my wife this week, talking about this sermon And I asked her how much I could brag on her as I preached this sermon. And she said, well, don't brag on me too much about that. In fact, she doesn't like me to brag on her at all. She she likes to remain behind the scenes. And she said something that's striking. She said, I strive to be or aspire to be a Proverbs 31 lady. That's her goal. In fact, as we read through this beautiful poem, which is what it is, uh, there's, there's a sense here in which this is the image, a biblical image, a godly image, an image that every lady, Christian lady, should aspire to be. It's an image that if you're a single man, man, you hope this is the woman you marry. Uh, and for all of us as followers of Christ, the character traits that this lady wisdom embodies are character traits that every single one of us should look at and should strive to live after. It's a glorious text. In these verses, it's an acrostic poem. In the Hebrew, each uh, beginning verse begins with the next letter of the Hebrew alphabet. goes all the way through the Hebrew alphabet. So it's a poem, that a poem of praise to this wonderful lady. And it is incredibly practical. Let me remind you of a quote I read early on in our series from Derek Kidner, he said, and we should do Proverbs poor service if we contrive to divest it in a priestly ephod or a prophet's mantle. For it is a book that seldom takes you to church. Like its own figure wisdom, it calls across to you in the street about some everyday matter or points things out at home. Its function in Scripture is to put godliness into working clothes, to name business and society as the spheres in which we are to acquit ourselves with credit to our Lord and in which we are to look for His training. That quote that we used before really picks up on the theme here in Proverbs 31. For what we're going to discover as we read this passage of Scripture is not some uh, religious statement about who a woman is supposed to be. It's not about a woman living at church, and it's not about how she sings, and it's not about what she dresses in when she goes to worship her Savior. It's about the character of a godly woman of lady wisdom who is depicting what it looks like to follow Christ practically, daily, 
in her activities, in her industry, in her work, in her home, how she engages with others, how she cares about others. It is utterly and gloriously practical. It is a beautiful statement of who God expects us to be. In fact, one author puts it this way. She says that the hymn that we're about to read, this poem we're about to read, is Christian heroism. Now, when we think of Christian heroes, we may go all the way back and think about David, right? David slaying Goliath and cutting his head off with a sword. I mean, stories like that, they, they, my son loves that story. I mean, he just, you know, killing, a Goliath, killing Goliath with a slingshot, cutting his head off. I mean, that's the stuff of modern day movies, Right? I mean, that's, that's the, yeah, guys out there, and they're, they're heroes. You've got Samuel. You've got, you've got other heroes from the Old Testament. Samson. But what, what this beautiful poem does is it turns heroism in, into a heroine. It really gives us a picture of what a godly woman is to look like in this image of heroism. She puts it this way. She says, heroism in the battlefield is transposed to a woman's vita activa in a home and community. She adds that this is a valorous wife who is a spiritual heir of Israel's ancient heroes. She is a champion for those around her by her diligent application of wisdom. So the valorous wife is a heroic figure used by God to do good for his people just as the ancient judges and kings did good for God's people by their martial exploits. She's a valorous wife. She's a godly woman. The text describes her as an excellent wife. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to call her Lady Wisdom. The reason we're going to do that is because it's intentional that the compilers of the book of Proverbs ended with this hymn. Solomon wrote many of the Proverbs. Others wrote part of the Proverbs. And probably in the exile period, these uh, Solomon's writings and these other writings were compiled together to give us what we have as the 31 books, or 31 chapters, rather, in the book of Proverbs. And the compiler finishes with this hymn to a godly lady, hymn to lady wisdom, in part because, as you remember throughout the book of Proverbs, you had the adulterous lady who was calling out, lady folly calling out for people to go her way. You had lady wisdom calling out for people to go her way. And the book ends with an idealized picture of lady wisdom giving us a model. In other words, this is a picture of someone that we can emulate with our lives that embodies and embraces the characteristics that the book of Proverbs has laid out for us to embrace in terms of money or in terms of activity or in terms of behavior, character, and conduct. She's a model. So she is an idealized picture of wisdom. Some commentators have asked over the years, but is she a real person? I mean, we're going to read some staggering statements about her character and her conduct and read through those. And one of the reasons my wife says we aspire to be this woman is because, man, this, this woman is pretty up there in terms of her character and conduct. Is this a real person? I think she is a real person. I think it's more than just an idealized picture of what someone could be. I think it is a, a picture of what a person who walks in wisdom really is. Maybe not in every single application, we'll see that in a moment, but certainly in the major character traits that she lays out and lives by that you and I should look to adopt and embrace in our own lives. So with that said, let's read this beautiful poem, Proverbs chapter 31, verse 10. An excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. 
The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hand, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of snow for her household. For all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. Strength and dignity are her clothing. She laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. We'll look at these character traits in a moment, but there's something fascinating at the beginning point of this. You've got to remember that Solomon's writing to his sons, particularly in the book of Proverbs, So there's an implication that what Solomon is saying is, guys, sons, this is the kind of woman you want to marry. You need to look for this woman. He says this, an excellent wife, who can find? So there's a picture that this is the kind of person that a young single husband or husband-to-be should seek out. uh, Someone who is going to embrace or embody these characteristics. goes on to say something fascinating Verse 11, the heart of her husband trusts in her. Same word for trusting in the Lord. In fact, uh, in the Old Testament, people are warned all the time not to trust in anything but the Lord, not to trust in any other person, not to trust in any other religion, not to trust in any other system or any other idol, not to trust in any other individual. And yet, in Proverbs 31, there's this image of a husband Trusting in his wife. Not in the sense of a wife saves her husband. I don't mean in that way. And neither does the writer here. The implication is though, that like we put our trust in the Lord, because we can count on the Lord, this godly woman, this lady wisdom, is so faithful in the way that she carries herself that a husband can absolutely count on her to come through when something needs to be done. It's a beautiful picture and a beautiful image and a statement of what wisdom ought to be. Let's look at her character traits. Here's the first one. We should admire the industry of Lady Wisdom. And she's always working. She's always using her hands. She's engaged in activity. In fact, a large chunk of this poem is devoted to her activity, to her industry, to her work, to her work ethic, to the way that she engaged in life. Listen, this is a lady who is not afraid of work. 
She's not out there as a sluggard or a lazy person. She hasn't hired an entire staff of slaves or an entire staff of maidens or has slaves that do our labor for her. This is a lady that puts her hands to, to the work and does what's in front of her. Notice the descriptions. Uh, she, her husband will have no lack of gain. She does him good, not harm. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She's like the, she is like the ships of the merchant. She brings food, f- food from afar, so she's caring about the provision for her house. Notice this. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household. In other words, she takes care of those in her household. She makes sure they have food, not just for her family, her blood family, but for her maidens, the people that attend to her, the people that are a part of her family staff, her household staff. She takes care of them. Notice this, verse 16, she considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hand, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives her merchandise as profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. Skip on down to verse 24. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchants. Strength and dignity are her clothing. She laughs at the time to come. Listen, she is a woman who has glorious industry. She works hard. She works faithfully. Let me make a, uh, an, an observation, a connected observation. I mentioned before that I'm listening to a podcast entitled The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. It reflects on a church in Seattle uh, that I listened to the pastor preach, at least online, uh, a number of times. And, and one of the things in one of those podcast episodes, there's this idealized version of what they thought their church should be. And one of his visions was that a husband should marry a wife. The wife should stay home. She shouldn't work outside the home. She should take care of the family. The husband should provide for the wife. And I'll be honest with you, I've grown up in churches my whole life. I've been around Christians my whole life. I've been around some pastors and Christians who that's exactly how they think. I I talked with a a pastor uh, that I know by connection to my connection at the Bible college recently. And that's what he believes. He believes his wife should stay at home and work at home and not work outside the home. That's just what he thinks. And that, that is prevalent in some arenas of contemporary Christian culture. Now, as far as my vision of what I think Scripture teaches, I'm a complementarian, meaning I believe that the Bible says that God made a man a man and a woman a woman, and he gave us different and unique roles. But to answer the question, can a woman work? Look at Proverbs chapter 31. This lady is not just someone who does laundry and irons irons the clothes. She's someone who is engaged in taking care of her household Yes, with household responsibilities, but she's buying fields. She's making things to sell. She's taking things to market. She is engaged in active industry to make sure her life functions and her family works and her family is provided for. In other words, she is someone who is not lazy. And I think some Christians and some pastors and some people kind of fall in those other traps. I think they miss some things about the implication of what Proverbs 31 teaches. Proverbs 31 in this beautiful woman, this godly woman, this lady wisdom in this passage of scripture is someone who models excellence, who models work ethic, who models honor. And she is someone whose industry is to be emulated. In other words, she's not lazy. Look at verse 17, for example. In in the ESV version, it says, dresses herself. In another version, maybe the one you're reading, it says, girding up her loins. 
The image there is that in the Old Testament, and even in Jesus' day, they wore long robes. And long robes got in the way when they had to do physical active labor. If you go into the story where Peter ran to the tomb to see the tomb, to see that it was empty, the Bible says he girded up his loins. That means he reached down under his robe and he pulled his robe up and he tucked it in his belt and essentially he gave himself shorts. Okay, so his legs were free and he can move. That's the very same image here that is described of this lady wisdom. She girds up her loins. She makes her robe ready, not in an improper way, not in some way that's not dignified, but she's ready to go to work. In other words, she's active in her labors because she is not lazy. By the way, any of you fellas in here want to even for a day do the job that your wife does and the mother of your children does? Uh, On the rare occasion that my wife has traveled, to see her family or, or gone away. And I've had to be mom, dad, and caretaker and breakfast getter and driver of kids and keeper of schedules. I am exhausted an hour into that process. I don't have any clue how my wife can sometimes keep up with all the things on her plate. Listen, that's lady wisdom here. She is someone who's able to manage all of these things. Why? Because she is a faithful adherent to what wisdom looks like practically. In other words, she's someone who lives out her industry. She's not lazy. She's not self-absorbed. She's not self-centered. She's focused on those around her, and she's working for the betterment and, and the benefit of those around her. And yet she does so wisely. If you look into verse 18, it says, her lamp does not go out at night. Now, if we read that a little too uncarefully, What we might think is that, man, this is a lady, she's burning her candles at both ends. She's getting up really early in the morning. She's staying up really late at night. She is working all hours to make all this happen. That is not at all what that phrase means. That phrase, her lamp does not go out, means that in a well-ordered house, the lamp burned all night. It was a sign of life. In other words, there, was a, there, were, there were some proverbs in the ancient world that put it like this. Uh, if you, your lamp went out in the middle of the night, you didn't have anything. In other words, it was a statement of poverty or it was a statement of what you lacked. It, the, the phrase that her lamp does not go out means that she is well off at some level. She is prosperous. It means they had a nightlight. You know, and, and my boys have a nightlight and we keep a light on in some parts of our house so that we don't fall when we get up in the middle of the night. It's a nightlight. But in the ancient days, they couldn't plug in a nightlight. They had a lamp that had to be burning. And, and being able to burn a lamp all night meant that you had enough to burn a lamp all night, enough oil. It's a statement of prosperity. And by one extension, we would look at that and say, hold on a second. Well, we may not be as prosperous as this lady. Well, I don't think that's true. Go back and listen to last week's sermon. Uh, and be reminded of how blessed we actually are. But I think there's a tacit approval here in this passage of Scripture to something that the book of Proverbs teaches us on a general basis. Not always true in every case, but on a general basis, when we walk in wisdom, God blesses us walking in wisdom. 
It's not an absolute guarantee that if you obey God, he's going to make you prosperous. I think prosperity teaching in that regard is unhelpful. But if you look at the pages of the book of Proverbs and the lessons and the wisdom and the instruction, generally speaking, when you fear the Lord, when you walk with humility, when you're not lazy, when you're diligent, when you give away to the poor, when you care about doing the right things, then what does God do? He blesses that kind of behavior on a practical level and on a daily level. And she is a testimony of that. So here's what we should do. We should admire her industry. We should seek to emulate it, put it in practice in our own lives. Here's a second character trait. It's that we should adopt the generosity of Lady Wisdom. This should be who we are. Notice what it says there in verse 20. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She's not afraid of snow for her household. For all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself, and her clothing is fine linen and purple. A couple of things I like to say about that. The, the first one is very obvious. She opens her hands to the poor. In other words, this is a lady who is well taken care of, who is well taken care of her own house. She's a hard worker. She's diligent. She is full of effort so that when someone comes around that needs help, she is able and willing and available and has enough to help someone who lacks. Is that us? Are, are we generous people? Are we willing to help those who are around us? There's a story about a young pastor's kid who watched her mom interact with a homeless person one day. They were driving around in a van that needed to be repaired. They knew that needed to be repaired. Being uh, in a pastor's home, they didn't have a lot of expendable income to make sure their van was repaired. So the family knew she was 10 years old, the little girl was, the mom was driving. And, and she knew that they needed to save their money to take care of their van. She knew that. But when they pulled into this particular location, somebody walked up to the door, happened to be a homeless man, knocked on the window, and looked at her mom in the driver's seat and said, can you help me? I've just been awarded custody of my grandchild. I'm homeless. I don't have anything to eat. The girl in the back seat said she saw her mom pull out a bill from her wallet and hand the bill to the homeless man and drive off. And, and she asked her mom about that. She said, mom, didn't we need that money for our van? Didn't, didn't we need to take care of something that was in front of us? Why did you help that man out? She said this. She said, I'm glad you asked that question. And then she quoted a passage from the book of Hebrews. She said, the reason I gave that man money is you never know when you're going to meet an angel. And the book of Hebrews says that we should show hospitality because you never know when the person that you're meeting is an angel and, and testing our faithfulness and our generosity. Now, what the preacher's kid took away from that isn't that every homeless person you meet is an angel, okay? It may be, may not be. But what she took away from that is her mom was generous even when she technically couldn't afford to be. Here's a question for us folks. We can afford to be generous. Most of us can afford to be abundantly generous. Going back to last week's message, we should adopt the generosity of Lady Wisdom. We should be willing to help out those who need help, whatever that looks like. Sometimes it looks like maybe a handout. Sometimes it looks like giving through a mission organization or a mission partner. Another thing about her generosity is this lady was not afraid of things. Notice what it says, verse uh, 21. She's not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. In other words, her, her family's well prepared for difficult things. She's not afraid of that. 
Let me make an aside application here that's not necessarily pertinent to the text, but it's important. If you're an adult, a lady or a man, and you walk around living in fear all the time, ruled by fear, you're not going to be effective at being wise. Fear pushes us away from wise decisions. Fear keeps us from being generous. Fear keeps us from working hard. Fear keeps us from trusting the Lord. And there is an aspect here where it says she's not afraid of snow. Okay, let's put it in, in, common, day, in common language, in up-to-date language. She's not afraid of what might happen. Too many of our lives are driven by what ifs. Oh my goodness, what, what, what if this happens? What if that happens? What if this storm comes this way? What if this situation takes place? And here's what happens. It paralyzes us from being industrious, doing the work that's in front of us because we're worried about what might happen. And sometimes it paralyzes us from being faithful and generous because we're too worried about what might happen that we don't see anything else that's going on around us. We don't see the person in need. We don't see the situation in front of us. Folks, let me tell you something. Proof that you're gonna be okay is that if you look back at yesterday, whether it was disastrous or not, you were okay. You're here today. You're watching at home. God is taking care of you for however many years and days and months you've been on planet Earth. He's going to take care of you tomorrow. And what Lady Wisdom exemplifies here is she's not afraid because she knows her family has clothes. She knows that they're taken care of. So there's an element of trust in the way that she carries herself. Folks, we should adopt the generosity of Lady Wisdom. Let me give you a third character trait. We should aim for the legacy of Lady Wisdom. Verse 23, her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. What's that saying? It's that, you know, this lady is a large part of the success of her husband. In the ancient Hebrew tradition, the elders of the land were kind of the, the, the folks that gathered around the gates and they were the ones who judged decisions that were in front of them. Uh, or they were ones who kind of guided the community decisions. And so they had to be well-respected to serve in that role of elder. Uh, when you move into the New Testament, that's picked up in some passages in the New Testament. That same kind of idea of leadership and decision-making. But in this context, what it is in this particular lady's case is she stood behind her husband. And the reason he could be an effective leader, elder at the gates, is because she was there supporting him in his leadership, but also supporting him because she took care of all the other stuff. It's, it's not that she sat by the wayside and, and was, you know, praising him and putting him on a pedestal and, and living for him. No, it's that she was faithful, and so it allowed him to be faithful, and it allowed him to be effective in what was in front of him. Let me put it this way. Those of you fellas watching or in the room that have even a little bit of success in your life, and you're married, I can promise you a lot of the credit for your effectiveness and success has to go to that wife that's sitting beside you. One of my professor mentors of days gone by said this to young pastors. He said, you got to be careful who you marry because your wife will either double your ministry or cut it in half. It's wise words. What he meant was you either have a wife who is so difficult to work with and unfaithful and not trusting, I don't mean immorally unfaithful, but, but so, so focused on herself that you won't be able to do your ministry 
Or you'll have a wife who follows Jesus, loves Jesus, encourages you, supports you so that your ministry can be effective. Folks, I thank God every day I married the, the kind of wife that helps me double my ministry. I'm grateful for that. The implication, though, is this, that, that folks, we should aim for that kind of legacy. We should aim for the kind of legacy that supports those in our relational circles. If you're a wife that that supports your husband in a way so that he's effective wherever he is, if you're a husband so that you live in a way and act in a way and support and provide in a way that your wife is effective for who she is, that gets a little more real as you move on. Notice what it says in verse 26. She opens her mouth with wisdom and the teaching with kindness is on her tongue. In other words, this is the kind of woman that when she speaks, she speaks and people need to pay attention to what she says. Because she has a heart that walks with God. That's a legacy left behind. The words that she leaves behind are words that are remembered by her children and words that are remembered by her husband and words that are remembered by those that she teaches. It goes on in verse 28. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also and he praises her. What a statement. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. This heroine is a picture of someone that is worthy of being praised. Uh, Folks, let me just make a confession. Those of you that are moms and dads in the room, you know this. Parenting is hard. Okay, parenting is not always easy. Especially in the moment because, you know, your kids aren't always going to recognize all that you do for them. They're not, they, they, they don't always praise you in the moment. They don't really ever often praise you anyway, right? And if you got a teenage child, they're not looking back at you saying, Mom and Dad, thank you for all the thousands of dollars you have spent on my education and my wants and my opportunities. You have just made my life so... They, they don't usually do that. That's not what teenagers usually say to moms and dads. In fact, in a previous church, uh, we had a friend of ours who was raising a teenage daughter, and uh, she had to correct her daughter for something going on. She called her out, she disciplined her, she corrected her, which made her teenage daughter really angry at her. Teenage daughter was so angry at her that she got on her cell phone, and she spewed this ugly, nasty text message about her mom to her best friend. Click send. Problem was that instead of actually sending that to her best friend, she sent it to her mom. That incited a further conversation between mom and daughter. Folks, uh, sometimes as kids, we don't think about praising our parents. But this lady wisdom lives in such a way that her children stand up one day and call her blessed and recognize what she left behind and recognize the legacy that she laid out for them. It's not always easy to live a life like that, but boy, that should be our aim. Our aim should be live away, live in a way that our children and those that follow behind can recognize that we were faithful and that we were faithful as followers of Jesus. Now, let me give you a word to husbands. Husbands, if you want your wife to be this kind of wife, how about praising her for the ways that she already is this kind of wife? And just throw that out there. Her husband praises her. Don't tear your spouse down. Don't poke at her faults and her flaws. It's good advice for wives too, by the way. Don't poke at the flaws and the faults of your husband. Talk about where they're already excellent and godly and they fulfill these expectations. There's room for serious and honest conversations about faults and flaws. But man, we're too guilty of being critical and being negative and backbiting. Husbands, you want a wife like this? How about praising her for the ways that she is already a wife like this? 
we should aim for the legacy of Lady Wisdom. Say, Pastor, man, you've really laid out a picture that I would like to live by. I hope so. I think that was the point of this acrostic poem. It, it was to, it's to kind of drive us to a place of, man, I want to emulate this. I want to be this. But how in the world can we do that? I mean, it, this seems out of reach. Is it possible? Can we attain this? Like my wife said, we aspire to this, but I, I don't know if I am this. It's not as hard as you may think. Because the starting point is tremendously clear in the book of Proverbs. Notice this. Verse 30 says, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. And by the way, it's not saying that um, you shouldn't tell your wife that she's beautiful. That's not the point. It's saying all charm is deceitful and all beauty is vain. What the writer is saying is exactly what we know in our contemporary culture. Charm is fleeting. Physical beauty, if that's our only motivation for what a godly wife looks like or, 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 a, or a wonderful wife looks like is outward beauty, then that's fleeting. That's going to go away one day. What he's saying, look at the next phrase, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. You know where the starting point for living a life like this godly lady wisdom lived begins? It begins with trusting in the Lord. I've said it this way, we should aim, we should adopt, we should seek to be like this woman. But let me get character trait number four, and it's this, we must embrace the humility of Lady Wisdom. Listen, I, I don't know if any of us, when, we, when our day is done, if we're going to look exactly like this picture of walking wisely. Maybe you will, maybe you won't. But I'll tell you this, None of us will ever look anything like this if we don't realize where it starts. And it starts with us recognizing that we're not a big deal. It starts with us recognizing that we're not actually all that important. It starts with us recognizing that people don't need to bow down and worship us. It starts with us recognizing that we are small and God is great and glorious and large and wonderful and, ma and majestic and more than we deserve. In fact, I'm not sure, Dr. Mike, you could have picked better music that connects to the ending point of this particular sermon because the more we think about the greatness and the glory and the majesty of God, the more we bow before God in humility and recognize it's not about us. Lady Wisdom is a lady full of humility. She fears the Lord. The starting point for her godly example, her work ethic, her industry, the legacy that she leaves behind, her generosity is not what that shows about her, but it's that that is who the Lord would have her be. And she's bowing before the Lord in humble surrender and acknowledgement. One illustrator put it this way. He, he asked the question, uh, have you ever heard an ostrich sing or an eagle sing? Or a bird of prey sing? No. They make noises. What are the birds that sing though? Well, there are birds like the canary or the wren, the lark or the robin. The smallest of birds are the birds that are known for their beautiful singing. I don't know in terms of God's creation exactly why that's the case. I'll tell you this, in terms of humility... The people that realize they're really the smallest are the people that sing and praise the best. They glorify God the best. They come closest to being this image 
that we've seen, this model that we've seen in Proverbs chapter 31. Let me say to all of you, if you want a good starting place, start with realizing that you're not. And first of all, you're a sinner and you're not righteous on your own and you need a savior. You need to fear the Lord. You need to trust him to be your Lord and Savior. If you've already made that decision to follow Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you're sitting here as a follower of Christ or you're watching as a follower of Christ, let me beg you, embrace the humility of fearing the Lord, of bowing before him, of acknowledging that he is great. Folks, that's the starting point for us living a life that's worthy of emulation and also living a life that leaves a legacy behind. Maybe you want to come pray at this invitation. Maybe you're a mom. Maybe your wife, and you see in this model someone you want to be, and you realize you're not there. Why don't you come pray about that? Hey, husband, uh, how about this? How about you come to the altar and pray for your wife? Not, not thinking about her flaws and how she's not like this, but praising her for the ways that she is already like this and praying that you will be the kind of husband that will support her in this kind of uh, modeling of what lady wisdom looks like. For all of us, maybe we need to be at the altar Or maybe we need to pray in our seats, asking God to help us have the humility that would mark us as a person of wisdom. Stand with me, if you will, as we close our worship service. Dear Father, you are worthy, you are forever, you are glorious, you are great. It's not about us. It's not even about how much we look like you, ultimately. It's about you looking like you and us pointing people to looking like you. And if there's any way that we can do that in our behavior, if there's any way that we can do that in our heart and our lives, we pray, Lord, that you'd help us to do so. Where we fall short, forgive us. Thank you for this model of wisdom that this beautiful poem tells us about. Lord, help us to be holy and seek your face. Help us to be humble. Help us to long for you and live for you. Dear Lord, I thank you for my wife who embodies many of these traits. I thank you, Lord, for my mom who modeled many of these traits for me and that I can stand up today. She's in heaven with you and bless her and bless you for her, for the way that she lived and modeled this for me. And thank you for all those that have lived that way, the, the ladies and the women that live in our church like this. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for their example and their model. Now, Lord God, help us as followers of Christ to seek to emulate this kind of wisdom in our behavior and our conduct. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Remember to like and subscribe wherever podcasts are found.